Good to see you this morning. Hope you've had a great week. We're in a short series on the church and the importance of a local church. I started out with this question, what difference does a church make? Would it make any difference if a church was here, if it wasn't here? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. If that's the case and you're involved in a local church, what are some actions or qualities or things about your life that you need in order to be considered what we would call a healthy or an active church member, plugged into a church. And so this is what we came up with. Five steps for growth and health in your Christian life. Number one, you need to belong somewhere. And that means you need to be attending worship services together. You need to be singing praise to God. You need to be hearing instruction from His Word, be encouraged by one another. The second aspect is this is not enough, right? In addition to this, in addition to coming and hearing a sermon and singing, you also need other Christian believers in your life who you are intimately and personally connected with, who know about you and know your life, who can pray for you, you can pray for them, you can share your burdens with one another, you can express your cares, your concerns, your doubts, your fears, You need people like that in your life to help you. And if you're not connected, you are not fulfilling what God has for your life. So we shared with you connect groups, different ways to engage here. There's also needs for more connect groups to be at Trinity. We're currently working on one, another one that's going to hopefully start up soon. So you need that personal connection. And then we say, that's not enough. Not, not only is it enough to hear a sermon and to get to know other people, but you also need to do something with the spiritual gift that God gave you. Every person who has trusted Christ as their personal Savior has been given a gift by God, and that gift was entrusted to you, listen carefully, and one day God will call you and he will ask you for an account of what he's given you. I'm not making this up. This is all throughout the scripture. Some he gave five talents. Some he gave ten. What have you done with that? And we will stand before Jesus Christ one day, and each one of us as believers will give an account for what we've done with the gift that God has given us. Our job as pastors is to help people find their gift and help them get plugged in and engaged in serving in a church body. You need to be doing something with your gift. And what we ask people to do here at Trinity is at least in one place and at least for one season, whether it be serving for nursery for a quarter, whether it be helping in VBS, whether it be helping on Wednesday nights with meals, whether it be helping on Wednesday nights with outreach groups, whether it be standing out in front making coffee, greeting people as they come in the door. By the way, we only have two people making coffee on Sunday morning. So if you know how to pour grounds and water in and plug something in, see Andrew Kroon. Wave your hand, Andrew. All right, so we're actively recruiting. Nevertheless, these are all important functions in the church. And you need to be doing something with your gift. Don't just sit there. Serve. That's not enough. Isn't that nice? You also need to be supporting, giving, either your life, your resources, into ministries that are sharing the gospel message and getting this message out to others. God didn't just give us the ability to hoard money to ourselves so that we live fat, comfortable lives. He expects His children and His people 
to be generous and be involved in the work that he has called us to do. And in addition to that, we need to go. In other words, it's not enough just to sit with our Christianity in our own living room, flicking through the TV screen. We need to be telling people what Jesus has done in our life and what he can do for them. He wants us to be actively involved in the circle of friends around us. He wants us to be involved in our neighbors. He wants us to be involved in people that he invites into our life. And he wants us to share who he is. Every opportunity we get. Now don't be an obnoxious Christian. Somebody that goes around with a gospel gun shooting everybody you see. But every now and then, you know, God does lead somebody in your life and he burdens your heart. By the way, they made us do that in evangelism class. I'll, I'll tell you about that story when we get to sharing our faith. It was great and it was terrible at the same time. But nevertheless, today we're going to be talking about serving. Now, if I had to ask you a question, and I could answer it from God's Word, and this is the question, how can you be great in God's eyes? And let's just go ahead and take apart the side that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. You have his righteousness. He's taken your sin debt. I'm talking about as a child of God, as a believer in Jesus Christ who has eternal life, how does God say you become great? You ready for this? You become great by serving others. The most humbling message in the Christian teaching. Greatness comes by serving others. Or I could say it this way. Greatness comes when you become a servant. When you put yourself below the needs of other people and you serve them. All right, let's get into the text this morning. By the way, I made that diagram, Brittany. Aren't you proud of me? <laughs> All by myself from a new app. We are to serve one another. Here is the outline of our passage. We're in Luke chapter 22 this morning, so if you want to turn there in your Bible, you can, or I put some of the verses on the screen for you. But in this passage in Luke, Luke portrays the last event before Jesus goes to the cross. They're in the upper room. Jesus is about ready to initiate the Lord's Supper with them. There's some chronological issues in Luke I'm not going to get into, but Luke inserts this story here to tell a particular occasion that happened. And this is what happened. It is a mirror on our heart. Listen to the words of Luke as he writes. Luke chapter 22, verse 24. Now paint the scene. Jesus is there. The, the, the Lord's Supper is there. The Last Supper. And all of a sudden, he's getting ready to serve the disciples. And guess what happens? A dispute arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Now you remember my outline? A mirror of the human heart. Now none of us need to be surprised that the disciples would be gathered around Jesus and start discussing who was the greatest. And by the way, Christians are not exempt in self-exaltation. We still like to have first place. We still like people to know that we are important and we deserve priority. And it's part of our human nature. And it's the part of our human nature that God does everything within his power to crush. 
Bless you. And the way we know that God has crushed that is when we become a servant. When we are willing to serve other people. But can you look into your own heart this morning and say, how many times do I really dig to be the greatest? I mean, something at the office comes up and people start saying, well, who did that? Oh, that was me. Or somebody else says, well, no, I did that. Well, I'm the one that had the idea. If it wasn't for my idea, you'd never be able to do that. Or, I mean, this is a battle, isn't it? How, how much like Jesus are you and am I when we could care less who gets the credit and we can just give thanks that the job gets done? Now, let me tell you something, folks. Credit hoggers, and you work with many of them. I know all about them. People that want to have all the credit for everything, who take all the I, they, they, have, they spell team by T-E-I-A-M, because it's all about them, right? Those people will eventually be exposed. Paul mentions in 2 Timothy that, you know, some people's works go before them and people see, but other people's works, it takes a while for it to be made manifest. But eventually, people are exposed. And the worst kind of exposure is to the person who claims that they did something and really they didn't. But these disciples were grumbling about who was going to be the greatest. Warren Wiersbe writes this. He says, perhaps the argument grew out of their speculating who would betray him. Or there may have been some jealousy over the way that they had been seated at the table. He says, when you're interested in promoting yourself, it doesn't take much to start an argument. And one of the worst testimonies in the Christian life is by being always having to be first. And you know how to tell somebody that always has to be first? I'm, I'm going to get personal now and it's going to hurt. All right? They think that they deserve a spot in the checkout line in front of everybody else. And if somebody gets in front of them, I mean, heaven help us all, that extra 30 seconds is going to end the world. And I mean, if somebody cuts out in front of us on the road and we go into an absolute rage and we just think that the whole world's going to end because somebody cut out... Now, Trust me now, I'm preaching. I'm preaching right here to self. But we're all wound up and bound up thinking that, you know, we, we, this is our, this, you know, calm down. Let the person in front of you. You know, if you see an older person in the checkout line that's standing there with 40 things in their arms and they got bad knees, let them go in front of you. If we see a young mother struggling around carrying this crate with all these babies and diaper bags, let the poor thing get in front of you in a line. Help her. Do something to help them. If you see someone struggling, you know what? Take the extra effort and go and do something for them. You'll be surprised what God will do for your heart and how you will bless them. But these are just little actions about being a servant. But boy, when we want to be first... Listen to what Wiersbe says. When we are interested in promoting ourselves, it doesn't take much to start an argument. And of course, we could plow the ground there for quite a while, but you understand where I'm getting at. Now, that's a mirror on our heart. Now, notice the window to the world. Here is a window to our world as the Lord now begins to expose this. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. 
And those in authority over them are called CEOs, CFOs, the big dog, the big boss man. Okay, I could go on down the list, but this is exactly what he's getting at. Kings are the ones who exercise dominance, and everybody says, yes, boss, yes, leader, yes, master. And he says, you know what? Christians who want that are thinking the wrong thoughts. Because it's not that way in the Christian life. It is in the world. And what is it that everybody in the world wants? They want to be served. Everybody wants that when the... They want to be the boss that walks in the room and everybody quakes. Why is that? Why do we want people to fear us in our human nature? Why do we want people to bow to us? You know, all you have to do is watch the coronation of Charles. Have any of y'all actually watched that? Do you know why they put on all the pomp and circumstance in Britain? I mean, millions and millions of dollars to crown Charles the new king of England. He's already the king, but do you know why they do that? You should read their history. They do that because they want the entire world to know their king is in charge. And they're willing to go in debt and great expenditure because they want everybody to know that now he is the king. And by the way, if you've ever studied his life, he will probably be a key leader in some world change. Just keep that in mind. But that's how the world operates. The big boss man. And when we as Christians desire to have that in our life, that's a warning sign that we're in trouble. We are in trouble. Now listen to what Jesus says as he gives some wisdom from above. And this is, should be uh, verses 26 and 27. And I'm going to read it from my text here. Jesus says, But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. Now back in that culture, all of the young kids even from childhood up, were expected to do what? They were expected to eat last, serve first, and always be looked down upon. They were not allowed to speak. They were hardly allowed to be seen. And so what Jesus is saying here is, let the greatest of you be like a child, one who doesn't expect to be seen, one who is willing to serve. And by the way, uh, notice what he goes on to say, for who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? In other words, I could say it this way. When you go to Outback, who do you expect to be the one who's cared for, the one who's sitting down at the table and paying, or the one who's bringing you the meal? Now, that's not a fair concern because you're paying for your meal. But imagine you were going into someone's house and somebody was coming to serve you. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that his followers are to be not the one who desires to sit and have everything brought to them, but the, they are to desire to be the one who goes and serves other people. Wow. Christianity in shoe leather. Now he asks the question, for who is the greater, one who reclines or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Yes. Yes would be the answer. But now notice what he says. But I am among you as the one who serves. So what does that imply for all of his followers, all of his 
people who have believed on him, who have eternal life in him. We are to be like Jesus. So what does that naturally imply that we are to be? Say it. A servant. We are to be a servant. Our mission in life is to serve others. You say, well, I don't like that because people take advantage of me. They took advantage of Jesus. You say, well, I don't like that because if I go to serve people, they'll treat me like a doormat. They treated him like a doormat. You say, well, God certainly wouldn't expect that from me, for me to go out and serve and people not to acknowledge and give thanks to me and acknowledge and give appreciation to me. He wouldn't. Is that not how they treated Jesus? And what did Jesus say, by the way? This is how people treated me. And if they treated their master this way, don't be surprised if they treat you that way. But we're not working for our reward here. We're working for our reward in the next life. Now, we've learned the mirror of our heart. We all want to be great. We've learned the window to our world. The reason we want to be great is because we look out in society and we see how that operates. And this is the world we live in. So we want to live by the values of this world. And now God gives us some wisdom from above and says, don't live your life by the values of this world. Live them by my words. Become a servant. And now he's going to explain to them what the result is of being a servant. Notice what he says, and he writes this. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now let me explain this to you. In Jesus' day, the nation of Israel expected a king all the way back from Daniel chapter 2 who would come and he would rule the earth. Jesus came to this earth and what happened? The nation of Israel rejected him. However, Jesus foretold of a future kingdom where he would come and he would literally rule upon this earth. And the disciples were so anxious about that kingdom because it hadn't arrived and some of them even had their mother go and say, Hey, Jesus, do you mind if my two sons, one would sit on the right and one on the left? And Jesus said, That's not mine to assign. The father has done that. Thank you for being a mother, trying to promote your child. But, you know, humble yourself, lady. Humble yourself. The parents do this. Hey, have you ever seen my kid play softball? Boy, let me tell you something. He can hit. You ever seen my kid do, play football? Well, you should give him a try. I tell you, now he's something else. And every coach goes, hmm. Mm. Parent trying to live his life back through his child. Child probably don't even know what a baseball is. But <laughs> nevertheless, he, he should do that. And this is that, this is that self-promotion. But Jesus told his 11 disciples, Judas was gone by this time. <clears throat> Notice what he told them. I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom. Now, by the way, that's not some spiritual, mystical thing that, you know, my kingdom's in Christiansburg or my kingdom. Listen, when Jesus comes back upon this earth and he rules in the kingdom that his Father has established for him to rule on this earth when he returns... He told the 11 disciples that they would have a portion of a kingdom and they would be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They would have that. Now, 
If you look in the rest of Scripture, do you know what it talks about you and I as the body of Christ and church individuals? Do you realize we are not told that we will rule the 12 tribes of Israel, but we are told that we will have a share in the kingdom rule. And depending upon how we live our Christian life and what we do with our life here will determine what our future is. Now hear me carefully. If you seek all of your exaltation and your reward here on this earth, you'll get it. But you'll get none in the next. Want it now? Get it now. Want it later? Serve now. Serve now. Listen to me, folks. This requires faith. You see, we often do things because of what we can see. But what God does is He makes us act in trust to Him. In other words, if we're willing to live our life and be looked down upon and overlooked in our life and maybe shunned because we put our trust in Him and do what He tells us and people are saying, people are stepping all over, you're getting walked all That's fine. That's fine. I have faith in what God tells me to do. I'm going to live and serve Him. And God's going to take care of this in eternity. And I'm not serving for my kingdom here. I'm serving for the kingdom there. And God will do the great role reversal. Notice what he says, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Mm. Now that's something to meditate on. Now, what are some lessons that we learn from servanthood? Three, very quick. Number one, servanthood is an act of willful surrender energized by faith. Now, that one came to me as I was standing up on my dresser after I had read this passage about 35 times. It is an act. Servanthood is an act. It's not a thought, you know, well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to be a servant. Lord, make me a servant, make me a servant today. Okay, I've got it in my mind. <clears throat> Servanthood is act, action. I see a need, I do it. You know, I, I, I am convinced, folks, if we, were, if we were truly aware that our actions down here would result not only in glory to God, but also in eternal and future reward, churches, nobody would ever have to ask for help. Because God's people would be like, oh, my mind is so transformed, I am living this life for that life. I'm willing to be a servant here so I can be whatever God wants me to be there. There would be no need for volunteer lists. We would be volunteering. And you know, an older pastor told me this one time. He said, teach your people what God said about servant and never beg anybody to do anything. He said, you, you teach them what God says about service and don't you ever beg somebody to do something. He said, because if you have to beg them to do something, you'll have to beg them to keep doing it. He said, but if God convinces them that they are serving him and that they will be rewarded by him, he said, they will do it willingly and un." complainingly. And I thought, wow, this is wisdom from an older man who had been in ministry for a long time. But it's an act of willful surrender. 
Lord, I am your servant, energized by faith. If I'm not rewarded here, if I'm not acknowledged here, that's fine. That's not why I'm doing it. I'll do it for your glory, for your word of encouragement. Okay? Y'all got me? Servanthood is an act of willful surrender, energized by faith. It takes faith to humble yourself here, to not have self-exaltation, and to trust God to reward you later. Having a heart of servant means that we genuinely care for and about other people. In other words, you're looking out at the needs of others, and whatever those needs are, you're willing to meet them. Lesson number two, anyone can be great if you're willing to be a servant. What did Jesus say? Luke chapter 22, he basically said anybody that's willing to be a servant can be great. So how do you become great in God's eyes? You become a servant. This man had this quote, and I don't actually know where it originated. One person said it came from the chief of uh, the head man at Navigators, but here is the man who, who coined it. it. I don't care. I didn't do it. That's what I want you to know. But this quote is amazing. How do you know if you're a servant? This man writes, the true test of a servant is how you respond when you're treated like one. Do I have a servant's heart? Well, how are you treated when you act like one? Now, I used to love to watch Undercover Boss. It was one of my favorite shows. If you're not familiar with the show, the head boss, the founder of the business, dresses up as the lowliest of employees and goes in undercover and starts talking to the employees about the business and the management. And he acts dumb, she acts dumb, and they go in, they have to be trained on how to do the most menial tasks. Now, some of them knew how to do it and some didn't. But it was so interesting to watch the attitudes of the employees and how they treated that boss and how they talked about others. And on one particular occasion, there was one employee that just absolutely bashed the administration. Listen, he said, whoever owns this company, the, you know, blah, blah, blah. He went on and on. He was like, oh, really? And then, you know, he tries to tell him what to do, and this guy's trying to do it, and the guy curses him out and tells him how dumb he is, and he, he won't last but a few days. Now, catch this now. At the end of the show, this man is asked to come into the corporate headquarters, and all of a sudden now he meets this boss that he has no clue who he was. And you should have seen the camera on this man's face when he walked into this undercover boss because he was not a very nice trainer. And he walked in and saw that man, and on his desk was his nameplate as the owner of the company, and he went, oh, no. Oh. And the, the boss was very gracious, but he was very firm. And he told him, he said, you know, I don't want my company represented by people who act that way. And I don't want you training and influencing other employees who act that way. And, you know, I appreciate your few years of service, but you'll no longer be employed here. And you will need to find employment elsewhere. But I hope you learn from this lesson. I'm taking what you have, and I'm going to hire someone else. And he left. And as that happened, I was sitting there watching it going, 
judgment seat of Jesus Christ for Christians. This is exactly what the judgment seat of Jesus Christ will be like for Christians. And can you imagine being interviewed by our Savior as he looks at us and says, what are you doing with your life? How are you representing me? Serving, serving. Are you serving your wife? Are you expecting to be served by your wife? Are you serving your children? Are you serving your employer? Are you a good employer? What are you doing in your church? What are you doing in your community? What are you... Can you imagine what it's going to be like when he talks to us like that? And for those who are willing and they're servants, what does the text say? Some will receive rewards, some will lose rewards. But nevertheless, our attitude is simply, we are going to serve God no matter how we're treated. And remember this quote, I would write it down, it's one of those keepers. And the next time you're shunned, the true test of a servant is how you respond when you're treated like one. The third lesson is simply this, and I've pounded on this. God rewards faithful servants. If we serve in this life, there will be reward in the next. But if we are served, and we just only want to be served, and we do no service in this life, folks, I promise you, on the authority of the Word of God, as a believer, you will not live your full potential in the future kingdom. You won't. So, be a servant. Now, I specifically picked these passages out to leave in your mind about our gracious, loving Lord Jesus. Let me read them to you. This is right when this event was taking place. Who is going to be the greatest? Listen to this. John chapter 13. When he had washed their feet, first thing he did, got up and wrapped a towel around himself as they were arguing, whenever he started scrubbing their feet. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place at the head of the table, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? I bet they went, No. You call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus did not waste words. He didn't mince words. He meant what he said, and he said what he meant. We are to be servants. Another passage in the book of Philippians, Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look on, not only on his own interests, naturally we're going to do that, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to write that even though he was God, he took upon himself the form of a servant, 
that he might come to this earth and do the greatest act of service that he could ever do. You know what that was? He went to a cross to take my sin and your sin and the sin of the world upon himself and he was the only person who could do this. He was willing to go to that cross, become sin for us, and he knew no sin, and allow God's wrath to be poured out on him to take the punishment that I deserved, that you deserved, and be nailed on the cross and die a cruel death under the wrath of God to pay the penalty for my sin. He took upon himself my sin, and if I by faith will believe in him, he gives unto me his righteousness and the free gift of eternal life. That, my dear friends, is a servant indeed. And I hope you know him as your personal Savior. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the example that he gave us, the lessons that he taught us. And thank you for the great act that he, he did on the cross where he paid our sin debt. And I pray, O oh God, that every person here understands that message, has believed that message, accepts the grace that you offer to us to believe this message of eternal life so that we too can be born again, be saved, have eternal life, the free gift that you offer to us by placing our faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you loved us with such a great love that you gave yourself for us. Now help us, Father, to turn that into service toward other peoples. Not that we work for our salvation, but we're working out our salvation as a reflection of what Jesus has done and what he is doing in our life. So as the song says, make me a servant, Lord. Make me a servant even today. Because we know that when we serve, we look like Jesus. So help us to look like him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.